0: This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. There you go, Rafa. I haven't even said a word yet, and the Holy Spirit's moving. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Where do you want to go in your Christian life? Do you want to understand God or do you want a demonstration of power? Because what he's saying is he's sitting saying the invitation and what I'm inviting you into is not really an idea where I'm asking you to have an understanding of who I am because he is an infinite God and I'm a finite being. So my ability to be able to comprehend who he is in his totality doesn't really exist. And so what he's saying is, I'm wanting for you to trust me and move into that space. But I want you to know that the way that we're going to operate together, I'm looking to move into places and I'm looking to be introduced into people's lives and into your experiences in the form of power. I'm wanting to evidence myself in that way. Is anybody looking for that? Yes. Seven of us. This is, what's happening on this side? Are you awake here? Yes. Are you, take a deep breath, everybody. Wave your hands. Say, okay, good. The only time you're allowed to be quiet is if the Holy Spirit knocks you over, otherwise you have no right. And remember, I get the I get the, the, the special view from up here so I can get to see if you're sleeping. The people behind you might not, but I do. <clears throat> that it should not be in your wisdom but in by his spirit. He's drawing a distinction there, and it becomes something which is really important for us, and I'm going to get into that in a little bit, in in, in a while. But I've come to realize the fact that that we don't always have a very clear understanding as to the distinction between the boundaries of my life and God's life. I was taught some stuff that I've come to realize actually wasn't correct. It sounded really good, and it sounded really spiritual, but when you begin to explore it in Scripture, it's really not correct. And so what I want to do today is I want to go down that path and kind of explore that in a little bit of detail because it's really important for us to understand that what God is wanting to do really doesn't take anything from you apart from your obedience. So He doesn't need anything more from you than that. Now you can take a big sigh of relief because that's the biggest revelation you're going to get today. It'll change your paradigm and your relationship with him because it makes us begin to recognize the fact that he's not asking you to do anything. He's asking you to live from obedience to what he's called you to do and how he wants to live through your life. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works. What he's saying is this. I'm wanting to live my life through you, and as a result of me living my life through you, it's going to introduce you to fruit. If you want your life to be fruitful, it's important for us to understand that he is wanting to have it live his life through us. It sounds elementary, and it sounds like it's, it's pretty much you know, a fundamental principle of Christianity, which it is. But it's become very blurred over time. Because we don't always believe that God wants to live his life through us to do stuff. We believe that God wants to change us so we can do something. It's up to me. God is going to change me so I can do something. God is not going to change you to do something for him. He is going to change you because the fact of the matter is part of our life and part of what has, has constitutes the building blocks of our life is not of him. And so when we live from that place, we live in what we classify as being dysfunction. We don't know why my life and the wheels come off my life with regularity. It's because I'm operating very often in dysfunction outside of accord with God. So what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to change my life for my benefit. He's not changing my life so I can go and be like Him. You should all be sighing the best sigh of relief. I'm giving you the best words here because all of this time you thought you had to do something grand for God. And you were sitting thinking, what am I going to give to Him when I get to heaven? Because I haven't really got anything really big in the bank just yet. He's not changing you to do stuff for Him. Maybe it's just a deep revelation. Are you with me this morning? Okay, hold on. Hold on a second. You've got to stand up. Take a deep breath. I haven't got into anything deep yet. And already it's... Breathe in. Shake. wobbly hands. Take... Slap the person next to you. Sit and say to them, Wake up! Say, this is going to be really, really good. Because the greater one lives inside of you. And you're about to discover something about the greater one that you didn't know. Okay, now you can sit down. <laughs> he wants to do something in and through you. He's not changing you to do something for Him. Remember, the fundamentals of grace is it's through Christ, not through you. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how eloquent you are. It doesn't matter how studious you are. It doesn't matter how knowledgeable about you are. You are not here to do stuff for Him. He is here to do stuff through you. Change it. It changes the focus of my life. Everything doesn't become about me and who I am and what I'm all about and how good I am. The focus of my life becomes Him. He is the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher. Revelation chapter 22 says, "He, I am the author and the finisher, the beginning and the And the end. The start and the the end. Something like that. I can't remember it exactly. I kind of threw it out. But that's it. Go and read it and you'll see. What he's saying is this. Don't put your eyes on anything else. The gist of everything in your Christianity is Christ. If your focus comes off him, you're going to end up in trouble. And that includes looking at myself. There's nothing great about me apart from what he's doing on the inside of me. Keep your eyes focused on Him. As we move forward, it becomes so important. It becomes a fundamental principle. Watch what constitutes your vision. It's all about Him. Always go back to Christ. Always go back to Christ. Um, John chapter 5 in verse 15 says, He who abides in me and I in him should bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. There are a couple of things I want to look at in this. The first bit is this, understanding the importance and the significance of abiding. He who abides in me and I in him. He's showing us here the fundamentals and and he's inviting us into relationship. What he's saying is when you move to the place of intimacy with me, and you allow me to give recognition and definition to who you are, what ends up happening is you're going to produce much fruit. In the context of that, and I'm going to expound on this in a little bit, there, there, there is an interesting paradigm that's taking place here. Because he's sitting saying, you need to discover who you are in me. But not only that, you also, once you start participating in that, are going to discover who I am in you. So something is happening in that context. And he's saying if you can understand that dynamic and if you can walk into a revelation of what that is, it will reposition the way that you operate with me. And the result of that will be that you'll begin to produce fruit in your life. Which is not of me, it's of him. Because without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Okay, just tap tap your neighbor and say he's going to tell you something. This is for you. Take a deep breath. Put on your seatbelt. If the cap fits, wear it because it's just as relevant for me. And so if I had to digest it, then so do you. So this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. Without me, you can do nothing. So if you're operating in your Christianity and nothing is happening, maybe Christ is absent. Say, put that seatbelt back on. (laughs) If you're doing some stuff in your Christianity and nothing is happening, maybe because Christ is absent. I'm doing some stuff, but he's not there. I'm looking for some stuff to happen, but he's not there. I don't know why things aren't happening. It's because he's not there. Without me, you can do nothing. We've raised a generation of Christians who are good-hearted and well-intended and they're out there on the battlefields working really hard to do something for God. I'm working really hard for you, Lord. Where are you? You've never discovered yourself in me and me in you. I appreciate your heart. I appreciate your good intentions. But you're acting impulsively and you're running ahead and doing stuff in your own strength. Where is he? I don't understand why my Christianity isn't working. He's absent. So this was for me. That's why I'm allowed to talk about it. (laughs) And so you have to rein it in and say, hold on a second. I don't have the prerogative of going ahead and doing whatever I want to do. All of a sudden I begin to recognize the fact that I'm living in relationship with him and he is the dominant partner. He, gives to give, he gets to give direction and clarity and he is the one who influences that situation when I move into it. Mm. Come on. Come on. Keep your focus on him. Come on. Anytime I think I'm going to be a maverick for the cause, I end up in trouble. I'm well-intentioned, but he's just not there. So, my kids love playing Lego, and the thing is, about Lego is they don't like it. Don't give them like if you if you go to Costco, they can give you six thousand pieces for six for ten bucks or something, or you can go and you can buy a Lego set which is like hundred pieces for about three hundred bucks. <laughs> The difference is with Lego, you have to follow the instructions. Because what they say is, I want to build this, Dad. See that. That's what I want to build. And so it gives them some direction as to where they need to go. And so they, start, they sit down and they start putting their Legos together. And then every now and again, they'd call me and they'd be like, I, I need your help. And I was like, what, what, what's going on here? It, it doesn't look anything like a car. That's it's weird stuff happening. And so what ended up happening was they they didn't follow the directions closely and so they kind of went off at a tangent. And when they started going off, everything kind of went off in a weird direction. And you had to say, well, pull it back to take those pieces out. Those pieces don't belong there. Let's get back to the original. Now let's get back in with the directions. If we find out how God made us and how he intended for us to operate, it becomes really important. I like going back to Genesis, and I do it regularly, because that was God's blueprint for the creation of man. And the thing about it is, it's very hard to find what the original blueprint was when you're trying to deal with the mess. I'm trying to get through the mess and sort all the stuff out to understand what God's really trying to say to me. If I go back to the beginning and I can understand the fundamentals, I understand why he put man together and how he put man together and how man was designed. It puts me to a place where I can sit and say, I have clarity all of a sudden. I need to make some changes in my life. Holy Spirit, come into this place and do some stuff here. And so we go back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, God is about to create man and he gets everything together unlike Donna and he says and the Lord formed man of the dust oh stop being so sensitive listen if you're looking for political correctness you're in the wrong church this is not the right place and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life And man became a living being. Okay, so this is what I want you to get from that. Remember, we're starting off giving definition to your role and your responsibility in relationship with God. God is busy making man and he makes man of the dust of the earth. What he did is he created man and he created a habitation for himself. And man's lying down there as a habitation for God. And nothing's happening. The habitation is there, but nothing's going on. And it says, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Wrong. If you look at the original Greek, it says something different. It says, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of lives. Plural. (gasps) What did he do? It wasn't just his life. What he was doing was this. He breathed into man and he put his life into the habitation. And when God put his life into his habitation, all of a sudden, man became a living being. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of lives and man became a living being. Adam became a living being. And in that moment, something happened. There was an immediate transformation. Because you see, when the divine enters a habitation, it's no longer just a habitation, it becomes a temple. A temple is designed to house God. He was designed as a habitation. But the moment that God moved into that space, the space became a temple. The moment you get born again, what ends up happening is the Holy Spirit says, I'm going back to the original design. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to breathe the breath of lives. Plural, into you. What he's saying is this. My spirit is going to come into your spirit. And it's going to inhabit you. And you're going to become a temple. Somebody who houses the very life of God. But my intention is not that I stay as a singular life. My life is intended to invade who you are and change your being. So that you move to a place where you are defined by the essence of what's on the inside of you. And as a result of that, you can take who I am and you can live from that space, and you can reflect who I am to the world. He breathes into you something called his life. If we ever imagine ourselves to be anything more than a temple, we run the risk of thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. I'm defining the relationship between him and I. I'm a habitation I'm not just any habitation, I'm a temple. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. I have the life of God resident on the inside of me. But I am only a temple. Man cannot be anything greater than what he is and has nothing more to offer other than allowing the life that is on the inside of him to manifest itself through him. As a temple, I'm here to connect with the life that's on the inside of me. As a temple, I'm here to be at a place where I allow Christ to live through me so that he can bear much fruit. It's really important because it starts to change our dynamic and the way that we view our Christianity. We thought that we could just go ahead and do whatever we wanted. We thought that because we knew stuff, we could go and we could be good Christians. We thought that we needed to run about and do good works so that we could manifest him to the world. We are doing a whole bunch of stuff and he's sitting saying, you don't understand that you're a temple. A temple is there to house... The life of God. And in the temple, what happens in a temple is worship. You see, in the temple, what he calls man became a living being to do is to come to a place of worship. What it's saying is, esteem and value the life of him that is inside you more than anything else that you find in the world. I'm beginning to relate to the life that's inside me. The living being is relating to the life of God on the inside of me. We call it relationship. I don't like the word relationship because people go like, I don't know what that means. Especially men. Men hate relationship. We're relating to that life and that life is relating to us. Are you relating to the life that's on the inside of you? That's why it becomes so important for us to move to a place where we're able to enter into communication with God who's on the inside of us. That's why God speaks from the inside out. Because he's resident within. He's a temple. And what ends up happening is, when we live from a place of worship, when we live from a place where we continually go to him, because we esteem him as being everything, we esteem and value him for who he is and what he's all about, and we open ourselves up to definition from him, what ends up happening is, we start to recognize and realize my destiny. My destiny is not outside of you. My destiny is inside of me. My destiny is to be found in the Holy of Holies. God breathed into man and he became a living being. As a living being... God is man is in the space of relating to the life that's God of God on the inside of him, and I'm in that space where what I'm doing is I'm going to him, and I'm finding out from him who he is. What is he all about? How do I communicate with him, and how does he communicate with me? How do we interact in that dimension? I'm going into that space. Because as I go into him, not only do I have life in him, but I'm starting to discover aspects about who he is and what he's all about. And every time I discover something about him, what ends up happening is that becomes a component, a substance that begins to define who I am. And all of a sudden, I find myself in this symbiotic relationship where I am participating in the life of God. And as I participate in the life of God, what ends up happening is His life begins to redefine who I am. And then it's no longer just I am in God, but I find myself where God is in me. And suddenly I see things slightly differently. Suddenly I have clarity about some stuff that I didn't recognize before. I find myself having wisdom in situations that I didn't even know that I was a smart person. I start moving into paradigms and being introduced to aspects of of who he is that are changing and affecting who, uh, who I am. Why? Because God's original intention and plan was to create such an intimate relationship with us that he and I would come together and relate and the two would become one. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. one twenty six. 26. Anna. And God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. The moment that you got born again, God's image came in the form of his life and took up residence on the inside of you. The habitation was filled with his image. You became a temple. When you came to image and you started participating in image, image started to redefine. You became a living being. And I started to look more like him. I started to understand how he operated and the way that he worked in life, and I started to change my dependence on him, because as I moved into situations and circumstances, I recognize i 'm just a temple, but I know he wants to do something here. Jesus, do something through me. and he does the works. So we begin to get redefined, and we move to a space where I'm not, I don't just find myself in him, but he is in me. So I had an analogy that I was going to give you. <laughs> and I asked Sarah if I should do this, and she said, I think it's a great one. So if you have any words or letters you want to write, you send them straight to her, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is, the de- so this is what happens. I like to eat seasonal fruit and vegetables because if you don't eat seasonal stuff, it all comes from the southern hemisphere. And so what ends up happening is they pick it before it's ripe and they stick it on a boat or a ship or whatever. If it doesn't sit out on the harbor in California, they actually manage to bring it in and they deliver it. And then it looks really good on the shelf and you buy it and you eat it and it tastes like nothing. It's awful. Looks good, but got no taste. And that has nothing to do with the story, apart from the fact that I like, like eating seasonal stuff because it tastes really good. And so it, it's in, the, in the season right at the moment, there's asparagus everywhere. And the kids love asparagus. And I'm very happy because Vivi's picky. And so if she'll eat something green, I just buy mountains of asparagus. <laughs> And so she likes it and when you cook asparagus you have to make sure that you make asparagus and she likes to put cheese on the top and put it under the grill and blah, blah, blah. So I it. exactly, I know. Now you're all excited about lunch. Yeah. And the thing about it is so you get that out now. You take it and it is delicious. I mean, who doesn't like don't, don't get it so that it's like this. You just got to steam it so it's still crisp and good And yeah. and so you take it and you eat it and the thing is what happens is you're partaking of the asparagus. It's so good. But the science, funny thing happens. After dinner and a little while later, you find that you've got to go and tinkle. <laughs> and when you tinkle, you've just got to make sure Sarah never comes around to the bathroom, because she comes out and she says, you've been eating asparagus. <laughs> the thing about it is this. It's a good analogy because you know why it works. Because I participate in the asparagus. I am in the asparagus. And then the asparagus is in me. (laughs) And when the asparagus is in me, I'm able to take that and its likeness is out there. Because Sarah says, I know you've been eating it. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to show me. You don't have to. They know it. That's the life of God. God wants us to get to a place. God calls you to be asparagus eaters. It's scriptural. What God is saying is this. I want you to come to a place because when you understand who I am and you begin to partake of who I am, it is going to redefine and change your being. And you don't have to do it, you don't have to work at it. You don't have all you have to do is put yourself in a place where you allow him to have influence in that space. And when he has influence in that space, it starts to change who you are. And you'll get the nutrition and you'll get the value and you'll get the benefit. And what ends up happening is as a result of the life that's taken taken root on the inside of who you are, it will begin to take that and reflect that likeness all around. I am in him, and he is to be in me. (laughs) I am in him, and he is in me. So, the Holy Spirit is here. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to restore us to our original design. What the Holy Spirit is here to do is to sit and say, I want to introduce you to who he's called you to be. And so as a result of that, when we begin to partner with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit takes us into a place where he becomes the one who introduces and unveils to us the life that's on the inside of us. Reveal, revelation. Revelation. He's introducing us. It's His work. The role and the responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to take you back to your original design. The purpose and the responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to become your partner in destiny. The purpose of it is this. We never discover who we are and what we're supposed to do. It's more than a vocation. It's more than a sports arena. It's more than accolades. It's more than fame. It's more than fortune. It's more than accomplishment. Everything in terms of who you are designed to do is going to be found in Him. Yeah. And when you get to, what, to that place where I'm discovering who it is, That he is, that resides on the inside of me. What ends up happening is, I'm discovering aspects of him. And when I discover aspects of him, I find myself changing. And as a result of me changing, what ends up happening? I'm becoming conformed to his image. What is your destiny? To be conformed to his image. Why? Because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. My destiny is to move into a space where I allow the life that's taken residence on the inside of me to change and transform me so that I can partner with God in what it is that He's wanting to do. We are called to live from a higher dimension. Christ in me. Christ in me. There are things I'm not capable of doing in my own capacity. But if I can rest on him and I can rely on him, what ends up happening is I live from a different perspective. I live from a different place. I live from a different paradigm. 1 John chapter 5, I think. Verse 4 says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. I haven't got time to get into it this week. Go and listen to last week's if you didn't hear it. The whole point about it is this. Christ is your faith. And he is going to be established on the inside of you. Christ is the victory. And we get when we get established in who he is, it's what is on the inside of us. It is Christ that's on the inside of us that overcomes the world. I'm a temple. The overcomer is within me. I don't have to do stuff. He does it. Everything begins and everything ends in him. Um, If we go to 3 John chapter 2. It says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. What he's saying is this. To walk into the fullness of what God has provided for us externally is going to be dependent on whether we're able to walk into the fullness of what God has provided for us internally. What he's doing is he's taking us back to that space of abide in him and let me abide in you. And what he's saying is the degree to which you're able to live from that place and the degree to which you allow that to redefine who you are is going to introduce you to what God's plan is and what God's purpose is in circumstances and situations and life. I've come to realize the subtlety of so much stuff. And it was interesting because we had a, a pastor's meeting this week and part of that discussion was all about the languaging that we use. Our language is so important because we say things and we don't often think about exactly what the implications of that are. But when we sometimes think about it for a moment, we get to the place where it sounds really good but it's so horribly wrong. So we teach people that you know what? You need, to, you need to grow. You need to grow. Now what do you mean by that? It's really careful that we explain to people what that growth means. Because if that growth means I get to a place where I recognize that I can do nothing of myself, I'm growing in dependence on him, that's one thing. But many Christians take it as, let me become a more holy person. Let me become a more knowledgeable person. Let me become a more spiritual person so we put people on a, on a track where they're going down roads trying to do certain things that sound really good but actually they're totally immaterial in God's economy I heard somebody this week and they, they were talking about um, to, to somebody who was preaching and they were saying God wants you to know that he's got something very special that he's done in each person's life and God's going to work with you so that you can take what he's given you to go and change the world that's not right It's not about you, it's about him. It's not about, each of us are going to reflect him in a slightly different way because he's given you your own personality. What I want you to get, see is this. It's not that we throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we need to understand the relationship between things. It's not me doing stuff for God. It's me at a place where I find myself always responding to his initiative. I'm always at a place where I'm sitting saying, Holy Spirit, what's happening here right now? What do you want to do in this situation? What would you like to stay in this situation? What I'm doing is I'm responding to the life that's on the inside of me, and I'm allowing that to come out and give definition to places. It's not me going to do things. Every time I try and do something like that, it's like rearranging the, decks on, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> it looks really good and it looks great and all the rest of it, but it's designed to sink. That's our life. You're designed to die. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We're trying really hard to do a whole bunch of stuff, but the fact of the matter is I wasn't designed to live. The way God deals with us with things is more at a, at a more rudimentary level than just what I think. Let me give you an example of what I mean. You can't even die to yourself. You can't live for Christ and you can't die to yourself. I know you're looking at me saying, what is he talking about? Every day I carry my cross for the Lord. Do you know what our number one hit is on our website? People in fear getting hold of us to find out about coming and getting a Sozo. Number one hit by far. Great, Go straight to the Sozo page. People are in such fear about so much stuff that's going on. If you're living from fear, this is the problem. Try and get rid of it. You're going to die to it so that Christ can live in you? Try and die to fear. It's not possible. What happens is I move to a place where I begin to recognize the fact that he is everything. Everything goes back to him. What he's saying is, I'm the one who died. If you want to participate in my death and resurrection, understand this, your life is in him. What it means is this, because he died... And because he rose again, what he's saying is, I'm the author, I'm the finisher. And that includes the faith that gets established in your life. So for, in order for me to participate in what he has for me, I have to die to some stuff, my fear, so that I can embrace his peace. Because you can't have fear and, pa- and peace there at the same time. And you also can't take fear and try and morph it into peace. I've got to die to something so that I can participate in something of his. I can't die to it without him, and I can't birth it without him. Everything starts and ends with him. I'm beginning to recognize the importance and the significance of who he is in me. I'm beginning to understand my role as a temple. And when I move into certain places, I move to a point where I sit and say, Holy Spirit, I'm I'm filled with fear here. I need for you to come in. Why? Why? Because that which is born of God overcomes the world, not which is of me. Only Christ can overcome the fear. Christ will take it. Christ is the victor over it. Christ will put it to death. Not only will he put it to death, but Christ is the one who's going to birth something new on the inside of you. This is how I practically get to participate in his nature. I'm not trying to be good. I'm living from his goodness. I'm not trying to be a peaceful person. I have to allow Him to birth His peace on the inside of me. I'm not trying to be a person who's courageous. I'm believing and I'm living from His courage on the inside of me. Everything that defines who I am and that I live for is something that comes of Him and is birthed in me from Him. He uses birthing for a reason. Because I can't produce it and I can't manufacture it. It has to come from him. And so it moves us to an interesting place because then we begin to understand why God calls us to live from a place of humility. You know what humility is? Humility is a heart disposition that says, without you I can do nothing. Humility is a hard disposition that says, I've come to a place of recognizing there's some stuff happening in my world, there's some stuff in my life, there's some stuff in my relation. there's some stuff in all of this stuff. I can't fix it! I'm so dependent on you, I can't even die to it! Let alone birth something new. People live in torment because they can't kill some stuff. Guilt. Anxiety, fear, pressure. We need death. And he's the only one who brings it. He brings death so that he can birth something new on the inside of us. And this is how I become, and I move into a space where I become a participant in his nature. If you're looking for something from God, remember this. Everything that you need and everything you're looking for is part of who he is. If you're looking for anointing, you don't get anointing apart from Christ. If you're looking for healing, you don't get healing apart from the healer. If you're looking for provision, you don't get provision apart from the provider. The gist of everything is this. He invites us back once again to, into that place of I am in him and he is in me. He's inviting us back to that place where you get to a place where we build relationship and we begin to relate to Christ. Because if you get Christ, what ends up happening is you get everything that comes with Christ. He doesn't come without who he is. He doesn't come without anointing. He doesn't come without healing. He doesn't come without provision. He doesn't come without wisdom. He doesn't come without peace. He comes with all of those things. If you can encounter him, what will end up happening is you get to become a partaker of what he's all about. He's resident on the inside of you. When God breathed into Adam, it wasn't a little... He breathed into Adam, and in Adam's fullness, if you could see spiritually what people look like, people look, if you imagine me with an aura, that's what I believe that we look like spiritually. We look like this. It's not some little white dot on the inside of me, and that's my spirit. This is who I am. When he breathed into Adam, and he breathed his life into him, he took up residence in Adam's body, who he was. Adam didn't just walk with God in the cool of the evening, which is another whole story. He lived in relationship with God. Everywhere he went, God was with him. Everywhere he went was living out of an ability to relate to who God was. God is all in all. When we are born into this world, we don't have everything. We're learning and growing mentally, not spiritually, in terms of who we are. That's what kids are all about. They're being raised up. When Adam was placed into the garden, he wasn't placed fully complete in terms of his soul. He was learning in that space. What was he doing? He lived from learning by relating to the life that was on the inside of him. It gave definition all the time to who Adam was. He had no concept of death until he sinned. And in that moment, suddenly he was like, what happened? I felt something changed. We had the other way around. We've been exposed to sin and we didn't know what it was to relate to him. And so he created opportunity for us to move back to that space. You see, when Christ died and rose from the dead, or no, actually it was sorry, it was at his death. What ended up happening is as a result of Christ's death, that curtain in the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. The Holy of Holies was the place that used to... They put the Ark of the Covenant. That's where God resided. To get to the Holy of Holies, you had to go through the outer court, and then the inner court, and then you got to the Holy of Holies. And Only the high priest could go in there once a year. When Jesus died, it was torn from top to bottom. Do you know what it said? It said, God is immediately available to everyone. What he was saying was this. When you open your life up to God, you have made provision for him to move into the habitation. And that space all of a sudden becomes inhabited by him and you become a living temple. The fact of the matter is the curtain has been torn. God's not just going to live in your spirit realm. God has the intention of moving from your spirit realm into your inner court which is your psyche and who you are and how you think and how you feel and how you live life. And he's not even going to live in the inner court. He's going to move to the outer court and he's going to touch and affect your body and those things. And from the outer court he's going to go to the outermost parts of the earth. He wants to take who he is and he wants to infuse every part of your being with it. Spirit, soul body, and your world. It's about Him living through who I am. I thought there was one other thing I was going to tell you, but now I can't remember what it is, so it can't be important. That's fine. Um. my encouragement for you this week is to be people of destiny. Pursue your destiny. Discover who he is and in that space of abiding in him, you offer the the invitation for him to abide in you. There's a redefinition that begins to take place in who I am. And I begin to look like him and I begin to sound like him and I begin to see life from his perspective and it puts me at a place where as I move into circumstances and situations there is a sensitivity that I've developed to who he is where I understand his prompting and his leading and his movement and I understand what he's wanting to do in those situations and I look for him to do it and I invite him into that space. How does that change our prayer life? We think we have to go to God with a whole bunch of big words and stuff. He's right there. He knows. What he gives us becomes important because the words that he speaks to us give definition to his intentions and give definition to how he's wanting to move in situations. So I get to understand what he's looking for and I get to partner with him. It's an interesting place that we're in. It's a wonderful place that we're in. But it's a new place. Because it means we have to change some stuff. And it just means getting rid of some things that are are really not that important to our Christianity, even though we've been told about them for a long time. It's about regaining focus. It's about him and what he's all about. And it's about stepping into that reality And living from partnership with Him, where I'm nothing more than the temple carrying the life of God everywhere I go. Father, we just want to thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're with us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for habitations that are temples. Holy Spirit, I ask you this week that as people are intentional and they set aside time to spend with you, I pray that you move into those circumstances and you move into their life and you communicate with them in ways that are profound. I ask you to touch people and impart of yourself to them in a way that they know beyond any shadow of a doubt that they've met with you. Communication is the foundation to everything. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're the guide. You're, you're, you're here to lead us into this life. We invite you in, Holy Spirit, to each person's life. And I pray that as they set aside that time, you meet with them. in Jesus' name.